me just say this. Um, anyone doing crash? I think it's Cl yeah, Claire and Adam. All right, have a good time. Um, <clears throat> sometimes, by using the term worship for when we're singing the songs, we shoot ourselves in the foot a bit, because it is hopefully worship, but the idea is that everything is. And when you're a believer, the idea is that you live your life to the glory of God and that, you know, drinking a cup of tea is as much worship as singing songs. That's the idea, biblically. But also, you see, when you're hearing God's word, when you're hearing um, someone preach from God's word, the idea is that that should be an act of worship in the sense that you totally engage because you want to be fed, yeah, from what God's saying. So I would encourage you to not see my part as active and your part as passive, but for you to say, right, okay, I'm in, I want to get something from God, I want to be open to what God's saying. It's a little bit like in, a, in an American football match or in a rugby match, which I guess is a bit more appropriate for what's been happening lately. It's one thing to throw the ball well, but if the person at the other end isn't there to receive it and catch it well, the thing drops to the floor. So I'm going to do my best to throw you a good one today, okay? But I want you to be on the front foot ready, looking to catch what, so that you hear what God's saying. You up for that? Yeah. Okay, great. Now the church is called, uh, just, just so you know if you're a guest, we're working through the book of 1 John. Um, so we're going to read from there just shortly. But just before we do that, the church is called a lot of things in the Bible. There's lots of different names for the church. Any thoughts? New Israel, Body of Christ, Bride of Christ. I missed what I heard one. Any others? Royal Priesthood. People of God. Yeah, okay, great. Temple of God. Have a listen to this one from 1 Timothy. Describes the church as the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the buttress of the truth. So the church is the pillar and the buttress of the truth. Now I need some people to help me illustrate here. I need one, two, two people that are quite light physically. If you could just come up here. And then I need one, two, three, four... Four people that are quite strong, and then I need, and then I need one, two, three, four, five, six, eight average build people. Okay, two light ones. I know it's not me. I'm preaching. I'm, I'm more muscular than I look. No, uh, two light ones. Yeah. Okay, Dan and Dan and Fox. All right, you got. Let's make some space here. Um, strong ones. Don't all the boys in Revelation church. Yeah, I'm strong. Yeah, yeah, I know what you look like. Hey, he's just like, yeah, well, at heart. I'm gonna look at him. Look, he's trying, look, he's trying to recruit. Look. I'll go if you'll go. Right, come, have you come, you? Anyone else? Phone's gone, so I'm on this one now. Right, so get these guys. I'm just trying to illustrate something here. Very good, very good, very good, very good, very good. Now these guys. Okay. Now listen, this is meant to be the part of the same house. So if you guys could stand near to each other, that'd be great. Okay. Now, um, 
another person who turned. Who wants to help Dave be strong? Oh, jo oh we got Josh. Just okay, Dave. You stick around because Dave, you're going to become. You stay next to each other, guys. Stay next to each other. Dave, you're going to become a buttress. So, Dave, um, actually, yeah, David, if you could just kneel down um, and sort of crouch down next to Josh, and we need three more people that are average, nothing to do with your physical ability, just to do what Dave Morris is doing. Andy, can't you? What is it with you girls? What is it with you girls? Hey! Come on. Just crouch down, crouch down. Are you all right? Yes, sir. Now, we need you. Just crouch down. Now, watch. Now, here's the illustration, okay? This is the household of God, the church. Okay? These guys here, if you could crouch down so you're tucked up against their legs. Crouch down so you're tucked up. Right? Now look, this is the roof here. Right? This is, this is the truth. Okay? This is the truth. These guys are the pillars. That, I know, listen. What's the matter with you? No, no. I, know, I know it's funny, but you have to concentrate. These guys are the truth. These guys are the pillars. Now imagine what would happen to the truth without the pillars. These guys are the buttresses which are keeping the, the pillars and the walls up. That's what a buttress does. All right, okay, down you go. Give him a clap, give him a clap. All right, well done. What, what happened at the end there was a very good illustration of what happens when the church reneges on its responsibility, listen to this now, what happens when, at the end there is a very good illustration of what happens when the church reneges on its responsibility um, as being the one which upholds God's truth. You see, when the church does that, the scary thing is this, is that the truth of God collapses. Not in the sense that it's no longer true, of course it is, but people don't see it anymore. The thing is no longer held up in a strong way, but the thing caves in on itself. It's a big responsibility. I mean, I mean, look around, we're a bit of a motley crew, but God says that we are the pillar and the buttress of the truth. And so it's a very important thing we're going to look at today. We have to make sure that we teach the truth clearly, but also that we line up our lives with the truth so that our actions stand together with our words and we build a strong house. Um, today, I'm going to be rolling my sleeves up, not just physically, but spiritually, and delving into this subject of truth, aware that I'm going to be hitting a demonic fortress in our culture. Um, a way of thinking that really doesn't care about the details of who Jesus is, as long as you believe in something or the other. That's generally speaking, the most people I talk to would say, look, it is, you can believe in Jesus the way you want to, that's fine, but don't try to tell me that I need to believe in Jesus in the same way. I, I've got my own beliefs, or I've got my own I believe in Jesus, but it's not the same as the Jesus you believe in. It's a different one or, you know, this kind of thing. And so this is the prevailing mindset, which the Bible describes as demonic. Okay? And I'm going to be just hitting that one today and just helping you to understand um, how this whole thing works. So are you ready for that? Like I was saying, in 21st century London at the moment, people don't really care about dogma. Dogma is a set truth. Um, if you've got an appetite for unchangeable, immovable, absolute truth, you are seen as the stuff that terrorists are made of. That's how you're viewed. You read it in the papers. If, you, if you're that kind of, you say, no, I believe in one truth, and, I, and, I, and, I, and anything that contradicts that, I would say is not true. You are seen as a, a, a radical fundamentalist, dangerous, someone who is, um, you just don't want to be around that kind of person because th that's the thing that the, that the bomb, the, the, the suicide bombers are made of. That's the, that's the mentality. That's very much how it's seen, and we can be uh, slated in the media in that sense. Um, and it can get to the point, even, where those who are the pillar 
and the buttress of the truth can be compromised by the pervading atmosphere and we can begin to say, okay, well, may maybe, maybe this is just inappropriate. Maybe, actually, I've just been arrogant saying I know the truth. Actually, mate, who, who can say they know the truth? And we begin to maybe just kind of step back and think, whew, maybe, uh, maybe I've gone too far. But what I would say is this, is that if your experience of God is going to be authentic, then the message you receive must be authentic as well. The stakes are that high. Satan has an array of counterfeit spiritual experiences for you if you'll only wink at this issue of the truth and not get too uptight about it. If only you say, well, look, let's just not be too, let's not get too worked up about this, who was Jesus? Or, look, you know, let's just get together and we'll just have a good time and, you know, we'll experience a sense of just well-being and togetherness and that, surely that's okay, surely that's enough. It falls way short of what the Bible presents in terms of life to the full and what God has for us. So let's read 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to the end. Out of interest, can I just see how many, how many people have got Bibles with them? It's not a telling off. I'm just interested to kind of, it's a bit of a survey. Okay, that's good. Cool. The one of the reasons why it's good to bring your Bible is because as you, as you follow, as I read, then, then you're growing in knowledge of the Bible. But also you can check that what I'm preaching isn't just my own ideas, but I'm speaking on behalf of what God has said. 1 John 2 verse 18, Children, it's the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you will have knowledge. I write to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him in, abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. We're going to look at three things today. Number one, what is the Antichrist and how can you spot it? Number two, why is the truth such a big deal? And number three, just some safeguards in terms of staying on track. What is the Antichrist? And how can you spot it? Often the Antichrist is seen as some kind of 666-toting kind of person that will appear at the right towards the time the world's about to end and will cause us all to have barcodes under our skin with 666 on us. Now, I don't know about the ins and outs of that. I don't pretend to, okay? But what I do know is, is that the way the Bible refers to the Antichrist is a lot broader than that. It refers to him a lot broader than this, just one evil person that will appear right towards the end. It, it, it does seem from some scriptures that there will be something like that that goes on. But the way the Bible refers to Antichrist is a lot broader. In fact, do you know how many books in the New Testament use the term Antichrist? Let's have some guesses. How many books in the New Testament use the term Antichrist? One. Any other? Any advances? Five. Ten. 
11. Man with a pink on, four. The answer is one. It's only John who uses it. And only, yeah, this is the only time it's mentioned in this book, in the whole of the New Testament. Yeah, it's a very popular kind of theme, isn't it, in Christendom about Antichrist. John says there's going to be loads of them. Antichrist, lots and lots of Antichrists. So actually, it's not broader than just one really bad person that appears at some point. And also, what does the word actually mean, Antichrist? Let's have a guess, because I think it... I think you'll get it right, but I think there's more to it. What do you think it means? Oppose, someone who opposes Christ. Yes, but in the Greek, the word anti can mean oppose, but guess what it can also mean? Instead of. It can mean instead of Christ as well as against Christ. So to change Jesus, we see here, is to oppose him. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. To try and say, yeah, well, that might be what you think of Jesus, but I've got my own, I've got my own Jesus. He's... You know, he's like this and he's like this. And you kind of, that's the spirit of the Antichrist. Because you're just creating your own one. You're replacing the Jesus. And now this is, we call him the same thing, but this is what he's like. You can't have the Father without the Son. What's John? John's saying some big things here. I want you to get hold of this. This means that he says, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So you can look at Judaism, very often people say Judaism, Christianity, Islam, they're the three classic religions, loads and loads of stuff in common. And of, of course there are commonalities, but actually John says this, no one who denies the Son has the Father. So if, you are, if you're into Judaism, you don't have the Father. You can't say, now they got the Father, but they, you know, they, they, they didn't think Jesus was the Messiah, but they've got the Father. What does John say? No one who denies the Son has the Father. Because the Son is the perfect representation of the Father. So if you reject Him, you're rejecting the Father. Islam. You might say, no, no, Islam doesn't reject Jesus. They revere him very highly as a prophet. But they've got another Jesus. It's, not, it's, not, it's a different Jesus. Because their Jesus is subservient to Muhammad. Our Jesus is the Word made flesh. So it's a different Jesus. So it's the spirit of Antichrist. Jehovah's Witnesses. So now they, they mean, well, they're lovely people. Yeah, but they've got a different Jesus. They believe Jesus is an angel, created, not eternal, not, not, not the Word made flesh, not, not, not God. So they haven't got Jesus. I think, man, and I'm just all, even saying that, I'm just aware, man, you know, what, what, you know, <laughs> the atmosphere we're living in to say these things, you just, you even feel it as you're saying it, this sense of, oh. whereas 50 years ago to say this, everyone in church would have gone, well, yeah, of course. Well, of course, say something new. But the whole atmosphere has changed, and this stuff is highly controversial now. It's very interesting. So how do you test? How do you find an antichrist? How do you find someone who's operating in that spirit? Number one, they've got a different Jesus. And it's a big deal. To mess around with the Son of God is a big deal. You just don't do it. Because he's not like you and me. You can't just misrepresent him. He's the Son of God. But the second thing is this. It relates to their church life, the way they do church. Listen, they went out from us. But they weren't of us. If they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out. So it might become plain that they are all not of us. They rejected church life. They skipped here and they skipped there, teaching half-truths and winning many followers, but they actually removed themselves from the community of the church. Even the most gifted and flamboyant traveling evangelist must be part of a church where they're accountable and where they're answerable for their life and their doctrine. Otherwise, they can just go around spinning whatever they like, can't they? We must be accountable. I speak that, I feel it. I'm so glad that I'm overseen by others in, in, in our movement that will just say, how are you doing on that? What are you teaching here? How's your life? Because it's, it's like, oh man, it's safe for me, it's safe for you. 
just to have that accountability. John says, we know that they were dodgy because they went out. And they, 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 weren't, they didn't stay with us. They just did their own thing. And this is another sign. To remove yourself from day-to-day fellowship is much more serious than you might first think. It wasn't no big deal. Why make a big deal? This is why we make a big deal of being together. This is why we, we, we give lots of effort to just having a great time when we gather on a Sunday. This is why we're plugging these things, the ballroom dancing, the art classes, the hike. You might think it's a bit weird. No, it's about, it's about sharing life together. Not just about going to meetings. I've often found I've got to know someone a lot better on a games night than I have at a church meeting. Because a church meeting, they were like that. And I'm sure they were sincere, but at a games night, they threw the table up in the air, the ball up in the air. I think, oh, okay, you've got some issues here. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think it's fun to find out, you know, you get together at games night, someone's competitive, other people are. It's f- it, you just get to know one another. And that's why we do these things. That's why we say, no, come on, we're going to do, sign up. I want to ask you, please, if you're in, get in. If you can't be in, no problem. Find somewhere where you can get in. But if you're here, get in. Be a part of us. Yeah? Because it's church. It's church. And you might think, well, I'll go along to the settings. I'll go on a Sunday, but there's no small groups here, so I'll just wait till the next Sunday. Now listen, if, if you don't throw yourself into this whole social scene, your experience of Revelation Church will be it's just something that happens on a Sunday. It's a whole lot more than that. But it's just not official meetings. It's friendship. We're out here, we're out there at the Obi, have a great time at the Obi. It's, fa- it's fantastic. It's fantastic. And we do meet. There are little prayer meetings that meet and little gatherings for encouragement. That does happen, but at the moment there are no small groups because we want to be going. But I want to say, please, if you're here, get in. It's a safe place to be. It should be just as much an act of worship, as I said earlier, going to ballroom dancing as it is coming here on a Sunday. Whatever you do, the Bible says, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to the Father. I hope you can eat your biscuits in the name of Jesus after this service. Yeah, just as much you can sing in the name of Jesus. It's just all to, it's all, we must break this whole thing of secular sacred. No, it's all to be for the glory of God, yeah? When God made creation, he said, it's all good, the waterfalls, you know, all the stuff, the fish, he just rejoiced in it. We're allowed to rejoice in God's creation as well. And I want to say that to be meaningfully involved and connected into a church community is the safest place a believer can be. One of people's favorite quotes these days is something like this, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Now, I know what's being said there, but the concept of churchless Christianity is so alien from the New Testament that I'm not actually sure that the comment is true. I'm not actually sure it's true anymore. You're telling me the people that aren't in church, are you saying they don't love Jesus? No, I'm not saying that. People very close to me in my life are in that situation. They've been hurt. I'm not saying that. I'm not being, I'm not being unsympathetic. But I'm saying, how do you work out to live the life if you're not in that church? How do you, how do you learn to forgive one another, to prefer one another? How do you do it if you're not? Do you know, God wants us in. God wants us in. So the Antichrist, and rather than probably being about barcodes and being left behind and going home and finding you know, your friends not in because they've been scooped up and you haven't, it's probably more about being true to the bride and true to the groom. That's what the Antichrist, being against, if you don't want to operate in an Antichrist spirit, be true to the bride and be true to the groom. Yeah? That's a safe place to be. So why is the truth such a big deal? Second point. Well, there's a number of reasons. What was Jesus' favorite phrase before he said something, some teaching? It is written as a good one. Yeah, but you only find that in Matthew mostly because that was to the Jews. Okay? I tell you the truth. I counted. In four Gospels, <laughs> I've got this OCD streak, which means that I like doing things like that. And uh, <laughs> 78 times in four Gospels, you, you will find Jesus says, I tell you the truth. 
Now, to find something that appears regularly in all four Gospels is actually quite unusual. Now, don't take that in a misunderstanding. Obviously, Christ's life and his death and resurrection are all in there. But in terms of particular miracles, you'll find, oh, there's that one's in Matthew and Luke, but it's not in Mark. But I'll tell you the truth. It's his introductory statement in all four of the Gospels. Interestingly, he never says, I will tell you a truth. And he never says, here's my truth, tell me yours. He always says, I will tell you the truth. This is absolute truth at its most striking. In fact, they are absolute absolutes because the things he then says means that how you respond to what he said, your whole eternal destiny hangs on it. So we're talking big time absolutes here. So if you say, well, I do like Jesus, but you know, I don't like all the absolute truth stuff, you need to think through what you're actually saying. He's the king of absolutes. We need to write a song about that. It's not trifling. It's not a trifling issue. There's a battle on for the truth. Now you might say, well, why? Why is there such a battle on? Why is it such a big deal? Well, the answer is in John's gospel. Jesus said, once you know the truth, the truth will set you free. That's what he said. Now, the logical conclusion there is if you don't know the truth, you won't be walking in freedom. And Satan loves that. He loves to see you bound up in fears, in unnecessary errors, in, in just any chain will do. <laughs> He's not fussy. Just keep you chained up. But Jesus said, if you abide in my teaching, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's a freedom that comes through walking in the truth, through living in the good of the truth. You might say, I'm, not, I'm still not sure this is such a big deal. Well, if you consider the state of the world as a result of human sinfulness, corruption, violence, unfaithfulness, abuse, trickery, Greed, selfishness, hate, bitterness, revenge, all manifestations of the same thing, sin. And the answer to being free from the rule of sin is to know the truth. It's not self-help courses. It's not yoga. It's not finding yourself. It's by discovering the truth that is in Christ. Then you can begin to catch a vision for a different world. You see, the, the problem with the world is not out there somewhere. It's in there, multiplied by six billion. That is the problem with the world. It's not to say you can't make changes by dealing with things outside, absolutely, but you want to make the fundamental changes in the human heart. Now, no wonder the battle's so fierce. No wonder Satan, who is an intelligent and a personal spirit being, throw, does all he can to distract us from the truth or intimidate us out of a place of strength in the truth, bringing the old political correctness. That's a winner. He loves that one. Well, you're not allowed to actually say and stand on what you believe because uh, there's just this weird fear in the air that you can't quite, what is this, what is this? It's intimidation that comes through political correctness, which is satanic. Because political correctness is not about the truth. It's about just saying things that will please people. Paul says, if I was still trying to plan 10 with Christ, Galatians 1.10. The stakes are getting higher and higher, guys. Christian, the easiest thing in the world to be a Christian. Um, Needs to be prepared, armed, ready for. The thought of masses discovering the pearl hidden in the field, yeah, the kingdom. And then thinking, they're ah, going and selling all they've got so they can get the pearl. That frightens the devil to death. And so if he can convince people there is no pearl, well, there's loads of pearls, all the same sort of thing, really, when you, yeah, all the same sort of stuff, all goes to the same place. He's loving it. Not so. One pearl, one field. That's what brings the joy. Do you know that Jesus has defeated the evil one? Hallelujah. Remember that wonderful quote I read you last week from the magazine, which I helped Andrew Wilson write? Remember that? <laughs> I only get sued for this if I carry on making these lies up. He wrote it, but it's glorious, about Christ's victory over Satan. We can walk free from the prison of sin. Anyone say amen? amen. We can walk free from it. 
I tell you, a lot of our trouble is down to the fact we believe the roar of the lion over than the truth, which says, no, you will be free from it. You don't have to live under the rule of confusion and addiction and these things. No, because of the cross, because he won, because it wasn't for nothing. It wasn't a half victory. Jesus has done it. Hallelujah. And so, and so those things which kept, keep us captive can be broken out of through being joined to Christ, through faith, and then through being buried with him in baptism and raised up into new life with him. Union with Christ, who described himself as the truth, is the only way to freedom from sin. It might not be popular, but ultimately that's not the big deal. The big deal, is it true? If it's true, then we've got to take action. Now, it might seem easy to just create your own more comfortable version of Jesus, but you can't create your own Jesus. Well, I guess you can, but it would be really helpful if you do, just for clarity of communication, if you could call him something else, like Bob. That would really help us. Because then, we were, then we're just clear that you're talking about someone different. It's just fair, do you know what I mean? I mean, if you, you, know, if you sort of stood up and said, I don't know, Steph Liston said he hates people, I said, I didn't say that. He said, no, 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 yeah, no, it wasn't you, but I just decided to call this other person that said it, Steph Liston. I said, oh, what? No, this is slanderous. He said, you can't just say Steph Liston said he, he hates people because I didn't say, no, I know you didn't say it, Steph, but I just decided this other person, we're just going to call him Steph Liston. But this is going to cause me a lot of trouble. People are going to think I hate people. Now, you see, you can misrepresent Jesus in the same way, Jesus, oh, this is the Jesus, I'm following this Jesus, and he's really cool with sleeping around because he's moved on, this Jesus. No, Bob has moved on. It's not Jesus. He hasn't moved on. See? Because Jesus' sayings were not culturally conditioned. They were God's revelation for the good of humanity. God is not old-fashioned. He's streets ahead of you. Streets ahead. He spends most of his time waiting for us to catch up. But he knows what works. And he knows what we need. And he knows what we need to hear. You can't just pick and choose. You can't take bits off of Jesus and then put bits on and still have him. You've got your own little God, most likely fashioned in your image. So how about, instead of calling him Bob, let's call him Mini-Me. That's probably a better, better solution because actually you've probably just created someone who fits in with your current way of life and which will agree with what you're doing. So let's call him Mini-Me from now on. Is that a deal? Can we just agree that as a church? You're talking about your own Jesus, he's called Mini-Me. Is that all right? All right, that's great. Brilliant. Just so we've cleared that up. Don't insult the Son of God by modifying him as if he's some kind of sports car or adapting him as if he's a plug that doesn't fit. He's the Son of God. You can't do that. You can't do that. You mustn't do that. You are trifling with the eternal one. You are trifling with the holy one. You are trifling with the immovable one. You mustn't do it. If you want to know the truth, if you want to be free, you must stick to Jesus. The deal is this. Change and follow him. Don't change him. If you're going to be a believer, maybe you're here today, you're not a Christian yet. You think, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means a whole lot of change. Day after day after day. You're constantly changing, lining up, lining up with the one who is the truth. But I tell you what, it's glorious. You might say, this doesn't sound too easy. Well, as I was in the toilet earlier, I had a revelation. It's a place of revelation, I tell you. Bit of advice, if you're new in London and you need some peace, hang out in the toilet. Okay, cultural um, thing. So it sounds a bit weird. Uh, okay, I won't even go there. It's going to get worse. <laughs> Dig a hole, we'll leave it. Listen, here's the revelation. I was imagining that I went up to a soldier in the middle of the war and I said to him, how's it going, mate? Is it, is it, is it easy at the moment? And I can imagine him looking at me and saying, what? I'm saying, what? How are you finding things? Are things easy at the moment? And he's looking at me and he's, he just said, it's war. It, the question was completely the wrong question. He said, it's war. But then he said, but we're winning. And I thought, ah, yeah. You see, it's not about whether it's easy. 
And I think often we think that's our, it's, that's not about, it's about that we're winning. Yeah? I'm overcoming. Because it's war. And it will always be war until Christ returns. So get used to it. Get used to, get, um, get a soldier's mindset. Don't, I mean, you might think this guy is so hard up there. The things he's saying. Well, I can either short change you with flattery and lies, or I can preach the word to you, which is going to equip you to live victoriously for Christ. And to go for the latter. We want to produce soldiers. And you might say, well, I don't like the sound of that. Well, the war is still, still, still war. So you can hide away, but the bombs are still going to come dropping in. You've seen Band of Brothers. Oh. Ah. All right, sorry about that. Okay, sorry for the recording. <laughs> Just remember this being recorded. Um, all right, the question is, what would you want to change about Jesus anyway? What's wrong with him? I mean, what, what's wrong with him? There must be something wrong with him if you're trying to change him. Don't fix what's not broken. I mean, what's wrong with him? Is it that he loves you too much? He's loved you with an everlasting love. You've got a problem with that? Surely not. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's that he just wants to perform a wonderful miracle in your life and bring transformation. Surely it's not that. Maybe it's the assumption that you're evil oh. and that you need saving and that you're helpless to save yourself. And that the only answer is his broken, crucified body nailed to a tree. Maybe it's that. Because that hits at the center of our egocentric sinfulness. And it whips away from us every self-righteous leg that we might try and stand on. You see, this is the gospel, guys. It's about the marvelous one who came for wretches that he finds beautiful and who poured himself out for us so that we could become, instead of wretches, sons and daughters of the living God. <laughs> so that we could go from being aliens, far away, rebellious, following our lusts, to being those who become dressed in white robes and following the lamb wherever he goes. That's what this is about, guys. He's come to transform us. But we've got to know where we've come from in order to appreciate what he's done. We can't just think, oh, we're doing all right, you know, it's okay, but Jesus coming, he's just helped out a bit. No! No! We were lost. We were lost. But he's broken and in mercy, and he's rescued us. Wow! We were hopeless. We were without hope in the world. We were doing our own thing. It wasn't just that we were victims of circumstance. If we'd had the best upbringing in the world, we still would have done our own thing. But he said, I'm going to come and get you. And he got us, and he won us, and he brought us to himself. And he said, now I'm going to give you a brand new heart so that at your core, instead of being sinful, you're righteous. I'm going to take out your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to make you a brand new creation. Wow. So we're aware now I'm not what I was. I'm no longer just a sinner, but I know it's all by his mercy. Yeah? So he gets all the glory. So I sing my heart out, and I follow him to the end. And it's not always easy, but we're winning. Hallelujah. Final thing. How do you keep away from just this sort of sense of making sure you're, you're make it, how do you make sure you're following the true Jesus and that you're escaping from any influence that would keep you from the real Jesus? He says two very, very short things. This is going to be about three minutes and we're going to gather back into praise. Firstly, John says to him, the anointing teaches you. You've got an anointing. You've got a deposit of the Holy Spirit which teaches you the truth. Okay, he said, you don't need these teachers that are coming in. These guys that are coming in, saying how much you need them, and they're saying you've got to you've got to know this new latest thing. He says, you don't need them. You've got the anointing of the Holy Spirit. God lives in you. You don't need these guys, these pretenders. And what this hits at is the intellectualizing of the gospel. That's not how we learn the gospel. God calls clever people and not so clever people, but that's not how we learn the gospel. We learn it through revelation. Amen. Our eyes get opened inexplicably. We didn't see it, and now we see it. What happened there? Boom, your eyes got opened. That's why we call Revelation Church. Because we want to see millions and millions of eyes get opened, yeah? And see Jesus 
as he is. It has nothing to do with your academic ability and everything to do with purity of heart and really wanting to know him. Scholar Michael Eaton says this, The passage teaches that the gift of the Holy Spirit is the all-sufficient means of enabling believers to possess a knowledge of the truth. He is the all-sufficient means of enabling a believer to possess a knowledge of the truth. Hallelujah! We must say as we read the Bible, Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, open my eyes. Let this thing live. And he will. That's what we're told here. He will. The second and final thing is this, that the early teaching is not to be walked away from or not to be advanced on. This is something called Gnosticism, which is really the exalting of certain so-called hidden truths that masquerade as a higher, more profound insight than we have in the gospel. But it's a sham and it's a deception. You cannot get deeper than Christ crucified. You cannot get deeper than that. I mean, if anyone says that, you've got to stay away. Say, you just stop right there. I'm not going to go there. The eternal one died. <laughs> that is profound. Yeah? It will take a thousand ages to explore every facet of the gospel. But the thing is, is every facet that does open up to us opens up another thousand. We'll be looking into it forever. John says, do not go beyond what is written. The promise is this, as we stand firm, rooted in the truth of the true Jesus, surrounded by his people, making sure our lifestyles add up with what we say, what we, say we believe, when he returns, we will not shrink back, we won't be ashamed, we won't feel like <gasps> hiding, but we'll be confident and glad that the new age has fully and finally dawned, that the war is over. Yeah, <laughs> that there's no more tears, no more sadness, no more sickness, death, suffering, but we are face to face with him forever. Hallelujah. That's what we're about, guys. The Apostle Paul said this, if we hope in Christ for this life only, we are to be more pitied than all men. This strikes at the heart of a hopeless gospel, a gospel that doesn't preach future hope, but just says Jesus will make things better now. He certainly will make things better now. He'll bring peace clear conscience, forgiveness, friendship, reconciliation, love like you've, like you've never known. But I tell you what, there is opposition, there is suffering, there is resistance, there is pressure. If you're going to follow Jesus, there is pressure. If you're going to just go to church sometimes, no big deal. If you're going to follow Jesus, there's a, you feel it. You feel it. I feel it. But he's one. And I'm in his train, and he's taken us in triumphal victory to the place where we're going to live forever in glory with him. Hallelujah. What a God we've got. Should we, do you want to worship? Yeah. To right, you do. Come on, guys.